Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast where, with Jay Rosen, we take a look at movies from the compliance perspective. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on popcorn and compliance. In this special series, Jay and I are going to look at the intersection of Star Wars and compliance to celebrate the release of the latest Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker. In this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, Jay and I take a look at the final and ninth film in the nine-film cycle of Star Wars, that being The Rise of Skywalker. We consider the film from the compliance and leadership perspective by looking at those areas through the lens of some of the star characters, Emperor Palpatine, Princess Leia, and a new character, Janna. Jay, of course, gives his Hollywood Insider uh, background on the development of the movie. And then we consider some of the issues around creativity and what happens when you need to bring in new people to take on a project. I know you will love this podcast. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Jay Rosen, recovering screenwriter and Mr. Monitors, for another episode of Popcorn and Compliance. In this one, we're going to break down uh, the rise of Skywalker from the compliance perspective. It has now been out for a week, uh, coming in, I think, at uh, $500 the first weekend in worldwide sales. So uh, Jay and I have both had the opportunity to uh, revel in it at the theater. So we thought we would uh, bring this to you uh, for our year-end Christmas and Hanukkah and holidays um, present to you from the Popcorn and Compliance Guy. So, Jay, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Uh, It's... uh a satisfying conclusion to the past eight parts. Uh, I'm going to jump around and just give you some snippets of uh, production notes and things that happened along the way. As um, you've been following our podcast, if you have, you'll, you might get uh, a repeat of a little bit of information, but just in case there are people who are tuning in for the first time, uh, I'm going to take it from its inception. So back in June 2014, a couple of years after uh, the Walt Disney Company acquired Lucasfilm Limited, it was announced that Ryan Johnson, writer and director of The Last Jedi, would write a story treatment for Episode Nine. In August 2015, Colin Trevorrow was announced as the director and that he was to write the script with his frequent collaborator, Derek Connolly. In April 2017... Johnson stated that he was not stated that he was not involved in writing the film, but in February of 2016, Disney chief Bob Iger confirmed that pre-production on episode nine had begun. And in late April 2017, Disney announced the film would be released on March 24th of 2019, rather May 24th, which is a highly coveted Memorial Day slot. Unfortunately, a month later, uh, well, although a month later filming was expected to begin in 2018, January, but this was pushed back to August. So in August of 2019, 17, it was announced that Jack Thorne would rewrite the script. 
Then the Hollywood Reporter reported that his working relationship with Kathleen Kennedy, head of Lucasfilm, had become unmanageable. And after failing to deliver a satisfactory script, despite writing several drafts, he was released from the project. It was never a plan for Ryan Johnson to direct episode nine, but he still contributed to the script. On the next day, it was announced that Uber producer J.J. Abrams, the director of The Force Awakens, would return to direct the film. Uh, the film was produced by his company, Bad Robot Productions, and Lucasfilm. Before filming episode nine, which was initially given the working title Black Diamond, it was then trained, changed to Trixie, T-R-I-X-I-E, most likely to insert the Roman numerals I-X in the working title. The Rise of Skywalker was announced at April's 2019 Star Wars celebration. In terms of casting, what was notable was that Carrie Fisher had passed away uh, just about two years ago on December 27th of 2016. Initially, they said she would not continue into this episode nine, but uh, rights were granted to Disney to use footage of her shot from the last movie. And they used this to uh, complete her work on the last um, episode. In July 2019, Carrie Russell, who played Felicity, which is one of J.J. Abrams' early successes in TV, was confirmed to be part of the cast, as was Billy D. Williams. And this is notable because it presents one of the longest gaps between his initial, uh, his last appearance in Star Trek, Star Wars, which was uh, 1983's Return of the Jedi, and him coming now. Uh, principal photography began on August 1st of 2018 at Pinewood Studios in England, and film filming also took place at Wadi Rum in Jordan. Uh, in terms of post-production, again, this was done in-house with ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. And one notable thing, Lucasfilm decided to honor Riley Howell, a student who heroically died at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, during a shooting of April 2019. They named a Jedi after him in the book Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, The Visual Dictionary. The book credits Riley Howell with collecting many of the earliest accounts of exploration and codification of the Force. In terms of music, stalwart John Williams was there. And what's also interesting, he played a, uh, a cameo role as a bartender in one of the scenes. In terms of release, the film was originally planned to be released on May 24th, as we said, and it was pushed back to December 20th of this year. Uh, on the surface, it's never good to have your uh, release date pushed back from Memorial Day until Christmas. So that uh, means that there's either problems or uh, we're going to get a, a good uh, present from Santa. So Tom will talk about that in a moment. Just to recap, um, uh, unlike most studios, uh, Disney did not hold test screenings from the, the Rise of Skywalker instead of only showing it to Abrams' friends and family. A shot near the end of the film features two female Resistance members kissing, and this uh, for political and uh, cultural sensitivity reasons was cut from prints in Dubai and Singapore. Uh, in terms of the box office, as of yesterday, December 26, 2019, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Walker had grossed $259 million 
in the United States and Canada and 258 million in other territories for a global worldwide total of 570, 517 million, uh, well on the way to breaking or at least uh, getting close into the neighborhood of a billion dollars uh, aggregate uh, box office. Uh, in terms of critical response, review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes reported an approval rating of only 55% based on 418 reviews with an average rating of 6.19 on its scale of 10. The website's critics' consensus reads, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker suffers from a frustrating lack of imagination, but concludes this beloved saga with fan-focused devotion. At Metacritic, the film was weighted, had a weighted average score of 54 over 100, based on 60 critics, including indicating mixed or average reviews. So, I think uh, the last thing is what the audience has to say, because that's the most important thing. According to Cinema Score, American audiences gave the film an average grade of B plus on an A plus to F scale. By comparison, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi each earned an A score, on all, as did all three of the prequels. So that's the nuts and bolts about what we're looking at here. Tom, why don't you... Uh, Jump in, and I guess we should say some spoiler alerts. Uh, I think we have to say complete spoiler alerts. <clears throat> so I'm going to take three characters. Uh, first of all, I'm going to uh, take a look at it from the compliance perspective, Jay, and then perhaps we can go into some other uh, other areas. But I wanted to focus on three characters for some compliance lessons learned. And uh, so once again, a big spoiler alert, Palpatine reemerges. Uh, so evil incarnate, the dark Sith Lord, who has been manipulating us now for, uh, I guess, nearly 40 years, Jay, 40 plus years. And the thing that uh, I thought this was uh, instruct for, instructful for and useful for a compliance officer to think about is um, it, it does not really matter how robust your program is. You must always maintain vigilance. Uh, that's the reason you have internal controls. Uh, that's the reason you have detect and prevention. Um, there is always darkness in the human heart, and there are always going to be people that want to cut corners. Doesn't necessarily mean they're as evil as Palpatine, although he he really, I think, took it up a level even for himself. Uh, and I won't give that away as to how. Nevertheless, um, you can, whether you want to channel your inner Ronnie Reagan, trust but verify, uh, but you must be um, on the watch you must utilize your internal controls. You must uh, use continuous controls monitoring. You must, uh, on an ongoing basis, uh, upgrade your compliance program uh, as uh, employees and other nefarious actors out there uh, try to create a pot of money to pay a bribe. So and money has to come from somewhere. Uh, so what controls do you have around that? Uh, the second one was a new character, uh, Jana. And Jana appears... Uh, when they arrive to Kef Beer uh, to try to find the Wayfinder. And it turns out that um, Janna is actually an ex-stormtrooper. So uh, she uh, is like Finn, um, who was taken as a young child from his home planet, of which he does not know uh, where he's from, and trained to be a killing machine as a stormtrooper. And it turns out that Jana leads a group of ex-stormtroopers and resistance sympathizers. 
and they're, um, uh, they help Finn. Um, and frankly, at one point, I thought they might be the group that becomes the next uh, uh, class of Jedi uh, because they all seem to have just certain extra powers and extra things and extra sensories that I found uh, really fascinating. Also, Jay, there's a fabulous scene where they attack a uh, ship and um, the uh, commander of the uh, First Order ship instructs uh, a subordinate to jam the skimmers. And uh, the subordinate says, well, they're not using skimmers. And that's because they were using horses to attack. And sometimes the the most, uh, I don't want to say old school, but sometimes the basic ways to get things done can be the most effective. So I, uh, I really liked that scene. It was a very powerful scene, very exciting scene. But Jana, I thought, was a really interesting character. And I like to see kind of the ex-stormtrooper uh, stories be uh, explored further if there's other opportunities for the Star Wars universe to grow. Certainly, uh, Finn uh, is, is is not the only one out there. And the final one is, uh, I have to talk about Carrie Fisher. Uh, fell in love with Carrie Fisher as a teenage boy, I guess in college, I should say. And um, uh, to see her in this film, uh, like you said, two years after, uh, she had passed away. Uh, it was great. But I would like uh, really to think about Carrie Fisher in terms of your role as a compliance officer as a mentor. And she's a mentor to Ray. She teaches Ray about the force uh, that could have been fleshed out a little bit more uh, if she was still alive and or they used CGI uh, for reasons they didn't. But uh, as a uh, compliance practitioner, you are responsible for bringing up the next generation of compliance professionals. And those compliance professionals may be in, within your company, and they may you may be grooming people within your company, but you, you may be grooming them to go uh, to other companies. And uh, really, one of the, the best examples is uh, Jay Martin, uh, most recently retired chief compliance officer from Baker Hughes. And Jay, when he retired, was on his fourth generation of compliance practitioners who worked for him. And he made no bones about the following. I'm going to work you to the bone. Uh, you're going to be on call 24-7. And after three or four years, you will have a PhD in compliance. And when you're ready to move on, I will support you 110%. I will give you a top-level recommendation. And uh, now there's literally three generations of ex-Baker Hughes employees uh, who are ex-Baker Hughes compliance practitioners who are CCOs at other companies in Houston. So uh, Carrie Fisher really, for me, illustrates the final point around compliance I wanted to talk about, Jay, which is that uh, uh, you need to mentor the next generation of compliance uh, professionals as well. So with that, Jay, um, the, the question I wanted to ask you is really maybe twofold. In, in your opening, you detailed a fairly dramatic uh, changing of the of the guard in terms of direction, the director, the production company, the uh, scriptwriters and screenwriters is is that typical or atypical? And what does that mean really for the overall success of a film or of a project? And second of all, we touched on this in a previous podcast, but. Um, uh, once again, I would like to ask, how do you think through 
not simply a situation where you have a large body of uh, of of stories from prior movies from canon um, as a script writer, but how do you try to think about tying that all together? And did they bring it home in episode nine as really the end of this cycle, in your opinion? Two great questions. Uh, I'll start with the first, which is the old, quote, creative differences, unquote. So I would say it's um, it's not normal to have issues like this once you are into production, because when you're in production, pretty much the ship has sailed. Uh, the incidences that I recounted at the beginning are more in pre-production. So I think the thing that makes uh, it difficult when you're dealing in a sequel and to have all the episodes that need to be tied up is that there really is almost, uh, this is production by committee. There is so many millions and billions of dollars on the line that they have to get it right. And uh, I think kudos to, um, Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams for realizing that they were going in the wrong direction and it's worth to take an extra six months to get it right. What will happen when you're not talking about a blockbuster is uh, nobody ever writes a script by themselves. So if you read something in Variety that Tom Fox has sold his first screenplay, he, if he is the writer that we know that Tom Fox is, it's probably written 15 to 25 of these already on its own. So it is not never the single voice of a writer. There are studio people. There are producers. So uh, to wrap that up, uh, this is not normal, but it's not unexpected. What is unexpected is on the scale of what was at stake. And I think they did the right thing in terms of part two. Uh, a lot of the scuttlebutt that is outside there in the blogosphere right now is uh, too much or too little plot. They tried to wrap everything up. Uh, I think they did a fairly good job, but on some of the reviews, uh, critics have said that they just were there for the popcorn aspect of it and just to allow the story to wash over them. Uh, I think it's going to take some more viewings on my part. It was very dense. Uh, I'd like to understand the whole Snoke Palpatine thing. I'm a little bit fuzzy on that. But I would say on the whole, um, there is probably multiple Bibles on who does what, who is married to who. And for I think they made a very gallant effort to tie these things up. There are uh, opportunities to go forward, just like when you talked about those former ex-stormtroopers. Will they be the next... Uh, um, the next cadre of, uh, you know, Jedi. I think it's interesting. I like the fact that Ray went home to Luke's planet, that she took care of the lightsabers and hid them away. And uh, to echo your opening p- points, Tom, in terms of the force, uh, there is always darkness that is lurking and there is always hope to take us forward. And I think those artifacts that Ray has, um, hidden away will be uh, raised up for another uh, prequel or sequel or three-part episode in the Star Wars uh, universe. And uh, you and I were talking about Mandalorian earlier before we got on. So I would like to see uh, maybe if Mandalorian uh, 
crosses over onto the uh, feature airwaves. So uh, those are my uh, remarks right now. I hope I answered both the questions. People, I think, have forgotten that what Lucas started out to do. And Lucas started out to give us a Saturday morning, um, a cliffhangers, Flash Gordon, um, rollicking, uh, drive-in movie fun. And he did. And there's a lot going on here. People have talked about the hero's journey and taken that really to a whole new philosophical level. And uh, for those people, I certainly appreciate that. But at the end of the day, this is just a rollicking, good, fun movie. And you're right, it was incredibly dense. Uh, probably going to go back and see it again this weekend um, before my 38,000 viewings at home after it was released on DVD. Uh, so I can get all, catch all the cookies and all the cameos and everything else that I missed the first time around. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, this was just, I thought, fun. And uh, I thought they decided that they were just going to have a fun movie, and they did. And they tied it together. They closed off um, the original ninth uh, episode of a nine-part series. Uh, They closed off this three-part ending series um, after uh, Lucas did the prequels and sold the company. And so I thought they uh, they tied it all off uh, in a rollicking, uh, fun way. It it was uh, a different direction than perhaps we might have thought things were going to go from The Last Jedi. Uh, but I certainly wasn't offended by that. Uh, I frankly think that, that The Last Jedi now gives us some open storylines that we can uh, data mine a little bit more. That uh, if the producers want to go, as you said, in a Man- <clears throat> Mandalorian direction of a of a multi-part TV series. Uh, we've got um, uh, Rose Tico, one of my favorite characters from The Last Jedi. Uh, she really, uh, I thought, was underused a little bit in this movie. Uh, we have the children who um, were the animal trainers uh, or the caretakers for the race racing animals um, that we learned about in The Last Jedi. Uh, they seemed to have the force. There were... Um, with them, um, there were multiple characters in this movie that seemed to have some sort of ESP or uh, other indications that they may have had the Force with them. Um, I spoke about Janna uh, having that. It turns out that um, Finn has those uh, tendencies as well. So, you know, perhaps there's uh, other Jedi out there that... Uh, could be explored further in the Star Wars universe. We'll go in directions that you and I obviously can't foresee now, but in directions that you and I could enjoy for, you know, another 20, 30, 40 years, Jay. Yeah, so I think one of the interesting challenges that you have both uh, the MCU, Marvel Character Universe, and Star Wars sitting at Disney, and they both realize how each of those properties are instrumental to the future success of the company. So I think whichever way they decide to go with Star Wars, and maybe they've already decided, uh, I would think it's going to be well thought out. And uh, hopefully if they have something new that they can start, uh, the fans will not be so uh, black and white, pun intended, with Star Wars 
to force the creative filmmakers to get into one storytelling. So I hope they'll take the opportunity to kind of put these nine episodes to bed and really see where the universe is going to fly. And just kind of like one of your other passions, Star Trek lived on in many different incarnations and many different lives. And I'm looking forward to what the future has to bring with the Star Wars universe. Well, Jay, with that, how about we uh, give it some uh, rating? I'm going to go first. Since I knew it was going to be a long one, uh, I liked it with the caveat of a large uh, Red Bull and uh, some um, a box of Butterfingers that goes along with my overflowing bucket of popcorn. And I do remember what Tom said the first time I saw uh, Star Wars, now episode four to New Hope in the Bedford Mall in Bedford, New Hampshire. I thought it was the best thing ever and wanted to see it again. So uh, I still have those feelings. We're going to award the special commemorative Star Wars Uber bucket $12 worth of popcorn overflowing as well. With a refill? With free refills. Join with the official or R2-D2 Uber Diet Coke, also with free refills. So that is uh, as high an honor as you can give. But I'm going to even go further because I'm going to award the James Earl Jones signed lightsaber to the entire nine episodes of Star Wars. So kudos to all those involved and thank you, James Earl Jones, for signing my lightsaber. All right. So on on behalf of Tom Fox, both the voice of compliance and the compliance evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose and Mr. Monitor, would like to thank you for joining us, I believe, on our final uh, popcorn in compliance for 2019. But who knows? We might be inspired over the next few days to slip in one more film. So thanks for joining us and enjoy your holidays. We'll see you in 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you to listening to our final episode in our exploration of the Star Wars nine-part series. Today, we ended with The Rise of Skywalker. Go back and check out our five-part series on the intersection of Star Wars and compliance that we ran earlier in the month of December. I know you will enjoy it from the compliance perspective. As you can tell, Jay and I had a ton of fun in bringing this to you, and we hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast series as much as we enjoyed reviewing the movies, watching the movies, and then bringing it to you. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Join us again where we go back to our exploration of the Star Trek original series cast movies in our next couple of episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.